Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to church this morning. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. People from every nation and tongue, from generation to generation, we worship you.
There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free and my shame is out. Your
Father, it's a joy to be in your presence today, in this place, with one another. And we ask that your grace and mercy would, um, would so fill our lives, our hearts, our minds with your spirit. Help us to know that you are near. And may our worship honor you and draw us closer to you. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. Somebody heard me. (laughs) I have a very exciting announcement this morning. But first, I would like to have anybody that's involved in junior church to please stand up. So kids, teachers, our youth group helpers, would you all stand up for a moment? Hey guys, are you ready for this? You didn't just collect $200 or even $500 or even $700. The grand total of all that change that you collected for the 5 and 2 program, hang on, hang on to your hats, $1,179. Congratulations on a job very well done. I am very proud of you. And the picture you're seeing is a huge mound of pennies and... Thanks to uh, the Sunday school class, they counted all of those pennies. (laughs) And a very, very big thank you to our generous congregation for all the coins and the cash and the huge jars full of pennies that you donated. I'm amazed and grateful. Speaking of our amazing church family, we had enough donations on Wednesday night to pack 69 more shoeboxes at our packing party. So thank you so much. Next week, we'll put an announcement in the bulletin about exactly how many boxes we had after Just Romance has a chance to to, uh, count them all. So thank you for everybody who participated in that. And the bookmarks in your bulletin are to remind you to pray for Operation Christmas Child. I wanted to give you just a quick snapshot of what happens during Kids Club on Wednesday nights. So as each group is cycling through craft time, game time, and Bible lesson time, they have an exciting rendition of the Bible verse set to a pop song, which is masterminded by the very talented Sarah Gurley. So take a look.
We're so excited and thankful for all the things that are going on Wednesday nights and just for all of the generous and wonderful people we have in our church family. Thank you. Thanks, Lori. I'd like to invite our ushers forward now as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
Holy Father, we come today to give you praise and honor and glory. As we gather in this place, we come with a whole lot of concerns and burdens in our own lives and lives of those who are close to us, this world. And we bring all of these things to you. We thank you, Father, for the fact that you see the pain in our hearts. You see the struggles in our minds. You see the struggles in our bodies. You see the ways in which we hurt and disappoint one another. You see our self-centered behavior, our our self-destructive choices. This morning, Father, we pray that you would minister to all of the needs that are represented here in this room. We believe that you have the words of life. Help us to open our hearts to you. To surrender control of our lives to your Holy Spirit. That love and blessing, that healing and comfort and grace will be evident in us. Father, as we gather today, we, we are grateful for all who have served our country to give us the freedoms that we have. And yesterday, as Our nation celebrated Veterans Day. We are reminded of the great sacrifice of freedom. We give you thanks for everyone who has made that sacrifice in a variety of ways. And for the families and friends who have sacrificed as well. And we pray for your grace to continue to be upon those who serve. That we will help bring peace to our world of chaos and war. Father, we pray for all who are recovering and grieving from the the tragic events this week in Texas. For those who are uh, recovering, grieving from recent disasters, I think especially the people in Puerto Rico. Father, for the, the, the burdens in our country, we pray for grace and mercy. And Father, we pray not only for this nation, but for the nations of the world. We thank you, Father, for all the ways in which you are at work in, in this world. with Refugees and people who are hurting and struggling. And we think of, of the work of, of your people who serve and live in very difficult circumstances. We think especially of the people who are the families of the Christian leaders who have, have given the ultimate sacrifice for their faith in this last year. And Father, we pray that your grace would be upon those who grieve, and may they sense your spirit close. 
Father, we, we pray for the work of your kingdom in this country, and we think of the ministries of, of Native American ministries in South Dakota, and as they are about to embark on a Christmas season of outreach, we pray that you will bless those efforts and that you will help them to help others see your grace and mercy upon them. Father, we, we thank you for the, the work that you are doing, not only in our church, but in the churches around us. And we pray today for Christ Chapel Wesleyan Church and Pastor Mike Lemon. We pray, Father, that your mercy and grace would be upon this church in, in Silver Creek. That they would know your presence upon them in their worship today and in all that they do. And Father, we, we uh, pray and stand with uh, all who who are involved in the foster care ministry uh, in this place and beyond us, around the country and the world. We thank you for those who serve children in this way, and we pray that you would bless them and encourage them. And we pray, Father, for all the children who are in foster care, that they would, they would interact with people who know you and love you and serve you, and that it would be a life-changing interaction. Father, we pray today for your grace and mercy upon all that we do. Be glorified as we continue in worship. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Haggai. Selected verses. Hear the word of the Lord. In the second year of Darius the king, the sixth month on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. It is a time for you to dwell in your luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins. Now, therefore, consider what's happening to you. You have sown much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. You looked for much, and it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins while you busy yourself with your own. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew. The earth has withheld its produce. I've called for a drought upon the land, upon what the ground brings forth, upon men and cattle, upon all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the remnant of the people feared before the Lord. Haggai spoke to them with the Lord's message. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and appear in my glory. I am with you. The Lord stirred up the spirit of the people, and they came, and they worked on the house of the Lord their God. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, Say to Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the people, Who among you saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing? Yet... Take courage, work, for my spirit abides among you. In a little while I will shake all the nations, 
so that their treasures shall come in. The silver and gold is mine, and I will fill this house with greater splendor than the former. In this place I will give prosperity. On the 24th day of the ninth month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai. This is what the Lord says. Ask the priest to decide this question. If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes, and the robe happens to brush against some bread or wine or any kind of food, does that food then become holy? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai asked, if someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods, will the food be defiled? The priest answered, yes. Haggai said, so it is with this nation before me, says the Lord. What the people offer is unclean. Consider now what will come to pass. Before a stone was placed upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When you hoped for a 20-bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you found only 20. I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, you refuse to return to me, says the Lord. But since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, I will bless you. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the same day. Say to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. The horses will fall and their riders will kill each other. On that day, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. Children are now dismissed for Children's Church, and um, contrary to what the bulletin says, we do have Junior Church today, so you are also dismissed for Junior Church. Please stand and sing with us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, pleasing to you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Please be seated.
I suspect that you probably are aware of this sort of remodeling craze that's going on, particularly if you watch stations like Home and Garden Network or some of those things. And, you know, the, the people on some of these shows have become far more popular and bigger than even just the show. You see them, you know, when you walk through the, the lines of the supermarket, you see their lives flashed on the magazines there and things. Uh, Fixer Upper and Property Brothers and Flipper Flop and shows about tiny houses that people are building. I mean, you, you see these kinds of things. They're very popular and, and people love to watch them and people love to emulate them. And there's a lot of good from that. You can learn a lot. I, I love watching the tiny house shows to watch how they're going to fit all those things into this little house. There's something about wanting our homes to be the best that they can be. We, we want our homes to be comfortable. We want our homes to look nice. We want our homes to, to be a place where we feel like we can go and we can relax. And, and that takes work and that takes effort. And these shows are simply describing what we often want to do. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. But here's the thing that we find when we read things like Haggai's prophecy is that God isn't concerned about his house like we're concerned about ours. The, the prophecy of Haggai takes place after the Israelites have been in exile for 70 years. They come back to Jerusalem in God's miraculous uh, hand. They get back to Jerusalem and they start rebuilding this city of rubble that the Babylonians destroyed. Nehemiah builds, helps them build the wall and then they start restoring their homes and they start working on the temple that lies in ruins. But they start, they kind of lose interest in the temple. They got their own homes to take care of. They got, they got other things to do. And so they, the work on the temple stops with very little being done. And it's about 15 or so years later that Haggai comes on the scene and his word to the people of Judah is, hear the word of the Lord. How come you all are living in luxurious homes and my house lies in ruins. I mean, that's really the, the catalyst for this whole prophecy. That God's house is lying in ruins and the people of Judah don't really seem that interested. And the, the prophecy seems to tell us that there is a connection between what we do about God's house and our thoughts about God. And so God says to them, look, I got to get your attention. This is not right. This is not going to work. This is not pleasing to me. I, I want you to rebuild my house. In order to get your attention, I want you to take a minute and look at your lives. And he says to them, look, you all go out and you plant these crops and you get a third of what you hope for. You... you, you uh, Put the grapes into the vat and, and you make wine and you get a third of what you hope for. And you put money in your pockets and it's like it has holes and it just falls out and you don't know what happened to it. And you eat, and, but you're never satisfied. And there is this meagerness to their lives that God points out. And he says to them two or three times, stop, look at your lives. Are your lives what you want them to be? And they're not. And he says, there's a reason for that. The reason is, my house lies in ruins. And that's a sign that you don't really care that much about me. You're apathetic toward me. It doesn't matter to you. 
Now, I don't think what God is doing here is so much punishment as it is a wake-up call. God is saying to them, look, you know, if I bless you and you, and you treat me this way, you're going to get the wrong message. You're going to think that treating me this way, being apathetic toward me, being disconnected from me, doesn't really change anything about your lives. And it does. Because your apathy and your rejection cuts you off from the source of blessing and flourishing that I want to give you. And for you and me, it probably won't necessarily be material possessions. I think it tends to be more things like inner peace and joy. And contentment. A sense that our lives have meaning and purpose and value. And when we cut ourselves off from God, when we are apathetic toward God and his house, we can't end up where we want life to be. It, it's, I mentioned last week we, got a, we have a new dog. And uh, our, our little dog is about uh, four months old. Yeah, he's adorable, isn't he? It's amazing how quickly you attach to them. We've had him for, I don't know, four or five weeks. And we're very attached to him. But we're trying to do a good job of training him. We, we, have to, we probably didn't get a high-passing grade with our other dog that we had before that. So we're trying to do better with this dog. We're trying to teach him the right things to do. And we read, so we read all the books and we did all the things that we're supposed to trying to do. But I'm going to tell you, Cindy read in one of the books that said, Puppies are hard to train because they are so cute. And, and you just want to give them whatever they want. You just want them to do, you want to let them do whatever they want to do. And, and the truth of the matter is, we would love for him to just do what he wants to do. But this little guy is a chewer. I mean, we didn't have this issue with Hobbs. This dog is a chewer. He will chew on anything he can get his teeth on. Furniture, shoes, clothes, electrical cords. You know, I mean, so it's not just, hey, you're ruining our stuff. This is kind of dangerous for you. So because of that, we have to cut him off. We have gates around the house. There are only certain places he can go. And when we're not there, we have to put him in a pen. Because it's not just we're trying to punish him. It's because we're trying to protect him. We're trying to help him learn what, where, what good behavior can lead to. But if we give him, we let him do whatever he wants. We just lay the food out for him and he can get his treats whenever he wants to get them. And he can go anywhere in the house and do whatever he wants to do. The message he's going to get is, I get rewarded for being disobedient. I get rewarded for ruining things. I get rewarded for maybe doing things that are going to be dangerous to me. And I think that's the same message God sends us. Sometimes life doesn't feel like we want it to. Because God is saying to us, what's your priority? Is it possible you've cut yourself off from the source of blessing and God is hesitant to give us that sense of inner blessing in our lives because we've cut ourselves off from him. We're apathetic toward him. We've drifted from him. And what's so amazing is that God says to the people of Judah, and I think he's saying to us, that a lot of that mindset has to do with our opinion, our feelings, our thoughts, our actions about his house. Now, I'm asking myself the question while I'm reading this prophecy is, why is rebuilding the temple such a big deal? I mean, can't the people just gather in somebody's house and worship? Can't they just all gather in the marketplace and worship? 
I mean, why do they have to rebuild the temple? Why is that such a big deal? It's because the temple has always been the visible sign of God's desire to be present with his people. And when the temple lies in ruins, the message that the people get is, God doesn't really care about being close to you. And God doesn't care if you're close to him. There is something about the space. There is something about the building that communicates God's desire to be close to his people. Because the gospel has always been incarnational. The gospel has always been God coming to be with his people and to give his people signs and visible evidence that he wants to be close to us. Ultimately, it's Jesus. The Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt, lived among us. He becomes the living, visible presence of the temple of God with us. And then after Jesus ascends, it becomes the church. And what I think we sometimes forget and miss is that God inhabits space. And when God inhabits space, it becomes a special place. There's something in our, in our uh, American mindset that, that I think our, our idea of equality causes us to think that every space should be equal. There is no better space than any other space. I think that's what leads people to say, I don't need to worship God in church. I don't need to be a part of church. I can worship God anywhere. I can worship God in nature. I can worship God in my home. I can worship God anywhere I go and wherever I am. And that is true. No doubt about that. We can worship God anywhere. But there is something significant, because God said it's significant, about coming to a place and worshiping. Coming to a space, because God inhabits space, and it makes certain spaces special compared to other spaces. I mean, I have special places in my life. You probably have them in your life. I'm sure you do. There's an apartment on the campus of George Fox University in Newburgh, Oregon, where I committed myself to the call of God on my life. That's a special place for me. There's a golf course on the campus of Asbury University where I proposed to Cindy. That's a special place for me. There's a United Methodist Church in Spencer, Iowa, where Cindy and I were married. That's a special place for us. There's a hospital in Richland Center, Wisconsin, and another one in Rice Lake, Wisconsin, where our children were born. Those are special places for us. Assembly Hall in Bloomington, Indiana, where the Hoosiers play basketball. That's a special place for us. For me, at least. We have these special places. They're important to us. They're significant. And most of those places are because something significant happened in our lives in those places. And God inhabits space to make places special. So that we can know him and encounter him and be close to him. And there are places that are different from other places. Can we worship God anywhere? Of course we can. 
But I find that when people start saying, I can worship God just as much in nature as I can in the church, the point of that is not to to make the place in nature special. It is to dumb down the church. It's to say the church really isn't any more significant than any other place. And God seems to be saying to the people of Judah and to us, that's not true. There is something special about the place God inhabits. And the reason this place is so special is because we encounter God, but we do that together. See, at the heart of this mindset that I don't need the church, I don't need to come to a building, I think at the heart of that is a sense of Jesus and me is all that matters. As long as Jesus, as long as just Jesus and me, I don't really need anybody else. I'm fine. Everybody else do do their own thing. It's just me. And when we ignore God's house, I think it's often evidence of a of a self-absorbed mindset about faith. Because the scripture tells us again and again and again that faith is not just personal, it's corporate. When we come to this place, we are engaging with each other in the rhythms of life with God. We come to this place to hear things that we might not listen to on our own. We come to this place to sing praises to God together. We come to this place to pray together, to join together, to be challenged together, be held accountable together, to support each other and encourage each other together. There is something significant about coming to this place, whether it's for worship or it's for the educational purposes of the church in other forms. Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Friday night, doesn't really make any difference. We're coming together to worship, to learn, to grow, to challenge, to love. It's one of the reasons why the prayer room, when we do the prayer vigils, we're going through this. And we have one more week left. And... One of the reasons why we ask everyone to come to the prayer room is because there is something bonding about us praying in the same place. That when I go into the prayer room, my prayers mingle with your prayers and your prayers mingle with my prayers and with each other's prayers. And and this place becomes a sacred space. Could we pray at home? Of course we could. But there's something significant about making the effort to come down here, whether it's in the middle of the afternoon or the middle of the night, and walk into a space where lots and lots of other people before us and will after us have done what we're doing. And it becomes significant. What what the prophecy is asking of God's people, of you and me, the people of Judah, is that is that we, we commit ourselves to building the church. For them, it's a rebuilding. It's taking the, the stones and, and laying them on top of each other. It's actual physical labor. And quite frankly, sometimes that's what God's calling us to as well. What he's calling us to is to be so, so enamored with him that we are enamored with his house. And we invest ourselves in it. We invest ourselves financially in it. One of the questions that that God may be asking of us 
is when you look at the amount of money that you invest in the church, does it reflect your love for me? Does it, does it reflect what your heart's desire is for me? When you think about the time that you may spend helping to make this church as beautiful as it can be, doing whatever mundane tasks might need to be done, does that reflect your love for me and, and your gratitude to me? When you think about how we serve together in the church, teaching a class or singing or praying or ushering or greeting or carrying tables or preparing food or whatever it is maybe we may be doing, because it's all important. Our investment, what does it reflect about our feelings for God? Haggai seems to be telling us there's a direct correlation between our views of God's house and our thoughts about God. And I know for myself, sometimes I want to deny that. I want to say, well, you know, well, it's different, but it's not. There is a direct reflection. Because there is something about about our, our attitude toward the place where we gather. That is a revelation of our attitude and our thoughts about the one for whom we gather. So we think about what our investment is saying about us. Our money, our time, our energy, our abilities, our gifts, our service. What is it saying? It talks about how the people come and they fear God. I think that's simply saying to us, we do all of this in the spirit of humility. We come saying, this is God's house. I love God because God has loved me. I want to give. I want to do. I want to serve in a spirit of humility. Now, here's the thing that I think we often get caught up on. And maybe you're thinking this to yourself. If you're... If you're If you haven't yet started a journey with Jesus, you're probably thinking this. When we talk like this about the the house of God and what we do for God's house, the tendency is to think that sounds pretty self-serving. And quite frankly, I think often the church has communicated a message to people outside the church that everything we do is self-serving. It's self-enclosed. But the truth of the matter is, what we do, what we're trying to do, what what all of this is about is ultimately not to serve us. It's ultimately to prepare us, to, to make us people who are closer and closer to God so that we bear witness to God to the rest of the world. Ultimately, what we do in the church, what we do as a matter of of taking care of the church and building the church and all the dynamics of that, ultimately, it's about creating a space that invites people to come and to experience God as we have. I mean, it's ultimately an act of preparation for mission. It's how we think about the nations of the world. And a lot of our views about the house of God are reflect our views about not just God, but God's mission, God's purpose, God's ultimate design for the whole world. 
That's why it's one of the reasons I think Jesus is so upset when he comes into the temple and he sees the money changers and the animals in the place. Mark 11 seems to describe this most effectively when he says that Jesus says my, my, the temple is to be a house, of, a house of prayer for all nations. And you turned into a den of thieves. What he's saying is, in the, in the temple core, in the temple, there were, there were layers of places where you could go depending on who you were. The inner place was the high priest once a year. And then you had the place where the priest went and sacrificed. And then the next layer was where Jewish men could go. And then the next place was the court of women. And that's where Jewish women could go. And the outside part of it was the outside court. The last place was the court of the Gentiles. And if you were a Gentile wanting to come and worship Yahweh, that was as far as you could go. And guess where all the money changers are set up and where all the animals are set up? It's in the court of the Gentiles. Why is that? Because they didn't really care about the Gentiles. And their perspective on God's temple reflected their lack of concern for other people. There is something about our concern for God's house that reflects our love and our passion for people outside of God's house. I think ultimately he's saying our, our view of God's house is a, is a reflection of our attitude, our thoughts, our perspective toward God. But what we can never forget is the reason we do all of this, the reason why it's important, the reason why God cares and why we should care is because all of this is about the one who wants to be close to us. And he wants us to know that he's close to us. Two or three times in this prophecy, he says to them, I am with you. And I want you to know that. And the temple is the symbol, the sign, the visible evidence that I want to be close to you. But nothing for us is more visible, is clearer, a clearer picture of that than Jesus and the cross. That Jesus comes in flesh and goes to the cross for us. And as we come to this table this morning, we come to the one who wants to be close to us, who loves us. And everything he's asking of us, every investment he's asking us to make is because of his great love for us and his desire to be close to us and to bless us. And every time we invest in the kingdom, we open ourselves a little bit more to experience God's presence, his grace, his mercy, his love. So as we come to the table this morning, we come in gratitude and thanksgiving, and we also come committing ourselves to the sense of investing in God's house. Because it's his house. Because we want to be close to him. And we want to bear witness to him of what he's done for us. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you that you come and you inhabit space, that you are an incarnational God. Open our eyes to see that. 
As we come to this table this morning, we pray your abundant blessing upon the bread and the cup. That as we eat and drink, we will do so with hearts open to you. And with a desire to invest in your house, your kingdom, your people. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you're released by Rose this morning, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have trays of bread and cups, or if you simply prefer, we're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers here and cups. If you'd like those, just let me know as you come forward. I'd like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to God and uh, with a desire to, to be close to Him as He wants to be close to you, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father.
bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.